Um, we live in an age of irreducibles, a time of irreducibility, which means that, you know, for a long time now, and, and because of the rise of, of, of scientific abilities, uh, you know, we are able to take things and kind of simmer them down, boil them down, crystallize them a little bit to their simplest components. And there's a lot of that that is really, really great because it helps us to understand how things work. But there's also kind of a downside to it as well as it takes away um, some of the background mystery behind it. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, probably about 15 years ago, I was reading an article in National Geographic, and I don't know why this article was in the National Geographic because it had really nothing to do with geography, but it was an article that was written on love. And basically the author was saying that science has shown that the emotion of love can be boiled down to the activities, the interplay of chemicals and electricity. Electricity and chemicals, which is fine, except February 14th is coming. Valentine's Day. And uh, just, you know, guys, it's, it's a little bit of a heads up that it's time to get that card and to think about the words. And I just want to say, based on a National Geographic article on love, that it's probably not going to be very cool to look into your loved one's eyes and say, baby, I just love the fact that you're a nervous system wrapped with carbon. <laughs> Nothing says romance like that, right? Well, listen, I, you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with the science of, of trying to figure out how things work. I mean, understanding the macro world, understanding the micro world, it's absolutely fine. Except that we must never forget that there's always a bigger picture. And that sometimes, even in the micro world, in the smallest of things, there is a big picture of awe. A big picture of awe. I, it's a bit of a cliche. I mean, we hear it all the time, right? But it's so true that it's not the number of breaths you take, but it's the number of moments that take away your breath in life that really makes life fun and happy. Which, which brings us to a recent article in the New York Times where the author of the article is writing about how awe, A-W-E, can improve your health. The author, a woman by the name of Hope Reese, cites mainly the research of a Dr. Keltner who has written a book entitled Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, but also cites and uses the writings of others as well to write an article where the bottom line is this, that the experience of awe is a good thing for humans. That the experience of awe is a really great thing for human beings. And the research that she writes about reveals that these all-filled experiences produce benefits for human beings. Here's a list of five that she puts in, the, or, you know, it's more than that, but I, here's five that I gleaned out of the article. Uh, number one, when you're in a sense of awe, you uh, experience awe, it, it calms your nervous system, it slows the heart, and it deepens breathing, it produces oxytocin, which is a love hormone that produces trust and bonding between people, it quiets the negative self-talk talk, because when you're in a moment of awe, there is the absence of, 
of self-preoccupation, right? You're seeing something great and you're not thinking about yourself. And then number five, it removes us from the cultural moment of narcissism, self-shame, criticism, and entitlement. Now, I'm, I'm really grateful for this article. I'm really grateful that science is putting all this together. And I am in full agreement that the experience of awe is a good thing for humans. But I also think that it's kind of a Shark Tank moment. You know the TV show Shark Tank? It's where you have a, a really a group of really smart, rich people who are listening to some other people, some inventors, pitch their ideas about something that they want to sell, something they invented, something that will help them make some money, and they're hoping, as they make a pitch, that they're going to get the attention of one of these sharks, the rich you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurs, who will want to invest or buy their product. Imagine one day a guy comes onto the show and he says, we all know that cars need gas to operate. Everybody knows that. And I've come up with an idea that's going to make this happen. We put a gigantic tank in the ground. We fill it with gasoline. We, fill it, uh, we hook it up to a pump that has a universal hose and nozzle on it that fits all cars through which we can transfer the gasoline into the tanks of the cars and we make money by charging them by the gallon, and we put these pumps on every corner. And the sharks kind of look at each other, and then they look at this, this entrepreneur, and they say, you know, we're talking about a thing called a gas station. We're talking about a gas station, and there are millions of them on every corner of every city around the world, and you know what? They've been around for about 100 years. Back to the article on awe. Ironically, in talking about awe, there is no mention of religion. There is no mention of religion, and to me that is extremely ironic. The article says that science has discovered that awe is a good thing for humans when, ironically, there are buildings on all the corners of all the cities around the world helping people experience what you just discovered. And guess what? They're called churches. And in these churches, there are people who have not only experienced awe, but they believe that awe is really important for human, for human beings, for people all over. It is all that connects us to God. We get what Solomon wrote when he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he's also set eternity in the human heart. If you want to spend some time uh, uh, burning some brain cells, spend this afternoon thinking about that one phrase, God has put eternity in your heart. He has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know what awe is? Awe is an experience of vastness. 
All is an, an experience of eternity. All is the reminder that there is something bigger than us. That when we look at something, we are reminded that we are humans, that, that people are people and nothing more. That there is something behind the curtain. And we need to see it and we need to say, wow, even if we're speechless in that moment. And this is actually one of the things that happened to Peter in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, uh, we read in verse 1, that one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. This is at that point in Jesus' ministry when he's really popular with the people. They're chasing him down and listening to what he has to say, even if it means kind of crowding him into the water. And because the people are crowding around him, it becomes a little difficult to teach. There are a couple of boats, he noticed, there at the shore. And Jesus gets into one of them, the one that belongs to Simon Peter, and he says to Simon Peter, you know what, could you just push off a little bit? I need to, to teach a little bit where I have some room. And Peter says, sure. And then in verse 3, he sat down, that is Jesus, sat down on the boat, and he taught the people from the boat. And then there comes this moment when Jesus is finished teaching, and he does something unexpected. He says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Kind of an odd thing after a sermon to say, let's go fishing. Maybe I should try it sometime. So he says, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. And Simon, you know, he's a fisherman. And he's kind of his own man, and he's the owner of a fishing business. And, he, you know, it's been a long night, and he's just listened to a sermon and he's got things to do. He's not feeling it at this moment. He's just been working all night. He and the boys are tired. And this is cause for him to be a little sarcastic. And so he says in the very next verse, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Let me stop right here in the story to say this. That the experience of awe forces you to reconfigure reality. When you stand in the presence of a moment of awe, you are being forced to reconfigure how you think the world works. Awe forces us to reconsider that maybe the world does not revolve around me. That in this moment that is bigger than me and reminds me of my smallness, that the world does not revolve around my knowledge, my wisdom, my understanding of how things work, my understanding of, of, of the way things are, or even my experiences. I'm being reminded that there is something greater and bigger behind the curtain, and I'm being reminded that my finite mind, as hard as it might work, to embrace the infinite, it is never going to do that. So Peter here is operating under the impression that he is the expert on fishing in the boat. If he can't catch fish, then nobody is going to be able to catch fish, especially this carpenter turned rabbi. But, verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is so unexpected that they are completely caught off guard and unprepared. Think about this. If they had expected the catch, if knowing who was in the boat with them, if they fully recognized who it was that was asking them to put off into the deep and to drop the nets, when he said, push out into the deep and drop the nets, having fully realized who they were, shouldn't they have asked, do we have enough nets? Are our nets big enough? Are the nets that we have strong enough? Now, typically, when we see something that inspires awe, we usually focus on that thing, right? We stand in front of the Grand Canyon, and what most people do when they are in awe of the Grand Canyon is to look at the Grand Canyon and marvel at the Grand Canyon, which is absolutely, I mean, that's the right thing to do, except that somehow what we're marveling at at the Grand Canyon needs to connect us to the one that, that made the Grand Canyon. That, that when we see this most beautiful sunrise and we're standing in awe of it and we're thinking, how great is this? How beautiful is this? Something that we see every day, should we not just, in looking at the pinks and the blues and, and, and the colors and the clouds, somehow in the awe of that moment, turn that awe towards the one that created every sunset since day one of creation? Now notice what Peter does. Peter could have looked at the fish and all that fish that was coming in. And Peter is a fisherman. I mean, this is the way he makes a living, right? And Peter could have looked at that fish and seen dollar signs or denarite signs or shekel signs. And he could have looked and said, boys, our days of, of, of not having enough are over. Look at this. I mean, he's seeing revenue come into the boat. But Peter teaches us something about all. Peter could have looked at that fish and said, how awesome is this? But in verse 8, when he saw this, he turned towards Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' knees. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, that is the other fishermen, the other experts on fishing. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner, all of them are astonished. You know, here's the thing. You, you can't always predict when you'll look up and experience a moment of awe. And, and you can't predict when they will occur. But one thing you can count on is this. When you find yourself, when your heart is right, when you find yourself in a moment of awe, the experience of awe is always going to make you feel humble. Have you ever looked at a sunset and thought to yourself, I can do that? Have you ever looked at a Grand Canyon and said, I can do that. Have you ever seen anything beautiful and just said, that's beautiful because of me? 
the experience of all will always make you humble. And this is what happens with Peter. I mean, I think he, he knows that, that Jesus is somebody special. I mean, he's heard him teach. And even though he is the captain of the boat, and he's allowing in this, this moment for a carpenter-turned-rabbi to usurp the, the authority of the captain of the boat, he is now seeing Jesus in a way that he has never, ever seen him before. He has come into the presence of God, and he is humble and undone. Do you remember a moment when somebody, their mind is, is somewhere else in the Old Testament? They're thinking about what is going to happen to the nation of Israel. And they're, they're, they're in this place where, where their, their thoughts are, are you know, centered on God and what God is doing. And then all of a sudden, the prophet Isaiah sees God in a way that he has never seen him before. The glory and the angels and the holy, holy, holy. And what is the first thing that Isaiah, a prophet of God for crying out loud, says in the midst of God's presence in awe of the holiness of that moment. I'm unclean. My lips are unclean, and I live among an unclean people. When we stand in a moment of awe, we feel humble because we are reminded that God is present. And when you think about God, and what he is doing by inserting this joy, this, this, uh, this, this beauty into your moment, into your day, into your life. Does your soul, does, does the inner part of who you are, the core, the soul, does it want to, to overflow with awe at the presence of God as you experience it in the beauty? Does your soul cling to God in awe? Does, do you stand in awe of his love? and His forgiveness and compassion when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. When we look around at all of the people that are partaking in that Lord's Supper with us, the bread and the cup, do we look around and we're in awe of what God has done in the life of so many people? There are people who were a wrecking ball at the earlier parts of their life, the earlier years of their life, and because of God's grace and the power of His Spirit that has come to dwell in them, they are literally a miracle of new creation. They are a person of grace and of love and of compassion and, and of, of worship and praise to God. And we get to do this together in this moment with, with cup and with bread. Do we stand when we think about what God has done in our own life in awe of the grace that was shown to somebody like us? You know, going back to the science, and again, I love science, but we have to be careful that the landscape in front of us is not being turned into a spiritual desert. As human beings try to reduce everything down to natural causes, this is why it's important for us to understand, at least in part, what it is that Solomon is getting at when he says that God has put eternity, a sense of the infinite and the eternal, in our hearts. Humans 
are built for awe and to understand it and to experience it in their life. And we are surrounded by people who need to be reminded that awe is a possibility. And it comes from people in buildings called churches on every corner of every city in every place around this world. That we are the people that, number one, can I th- give you two things just to think about? That, number one, that we sh- we're the people that expect awe. We expect it. Um, many of you know the writings of Anne Lamont. I love this quote from her because it describes who we are when it comes to awe very, very distinctly. She says, I think this is how we are supposed to be in the world, present in the world and in awe. We understand that a tree did not just happen. A tree was created. That dirt, that dirt daubers, that cardinals, that, that blue jays and green jays, that, that, that rocks, that ferns, that human beings, when we look around in the parks and the, the world filled with you, all of this was created by God. I'm told that Vincent van Gogh, I, I love his painting, one of my favorite paintings by Vincent van Gogh, you know, hangs in my dining room. I'm told that Vincent van Gogh, a man deeply devoted to God, that when a thunderstorm would come across the fields where he was painting, he would leave the house or the cottage where he or the barn or studio where he was, and he would run out into the middle of that field to experience in a palpable, tangible way the awe that is wrought in a thunderstorm as the rain and the lightning and the thunder is booming around. We expect awe of God in the world. When we were baptized into Christ, it was not the start of a life that's just standing around bored while we wait for heaven. We are a people who experience awe in the moment of gracious forgiveness that is given to us. Do you know what it took for God to forgive you and me? The life of a son. Do we stand in awe of the reconciliation and and the love that has ushered in a whole new way of living in the world that includes, among many things, the continual experience of awe that is generated by the presence of God in worship and in our day-to-day intersecting with the lives of other people and, and, and God's presence intersecting us in every moment around us. I am in awe of a world that is so beautiful that at the, at the same time it's broken, but I stand in awe of that beauty that is so powerful that it comes streaming through the clouds. And it reminds me that I am not alone and that there is a God who smiles upon us. I am in awe of the people who make up the body of Christ in seeing who you are in light of who you could have been. We, every day, friends, we should expect moments of awe that are life-changing, that take our breath away. And the second thing is we share it. We share that all. C.S. Lewis taught me that the experience of awe, these transcendent moments of, of beauty, are never complete until they are shared. Think about it this way. You ever read a good book or seen a good movie? 
And then the moment of enjoying that good book or that, that good movie was not really complete until you had shared that experience with somebody. I mean, why is it that we always go up to somebody and say, hey, have you read this book? Have you heard this song? Have you seen this movie? Except that it completes the joy by sharing it with somebody else. You have a date with a wonderful person, and you've just got to share it with your friends to make it sort of complete. When you read about the things that Jesus was doing in the Gospels, over and over we read that, that the people were amazed at his teachings or at his works, and they praised God. Not only do we share that experience with each other, but we share it with the world. You'll remember that when Jesus, um, after Peter has fallen to his knees, says, I need you to get far from me because I'm sinful. I, I, I'm sinful. I'm broken. And I need you and separation between us. Jesus helps him up to his feet and says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And he says in verse 10, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and they followed him. You know, one of the easiest ways to talk about God is just to say how beautiful the sunrise, the sunset. How beautiful a piece of music. How, how, how beautiful to look upon the face of a child as it looks into the face of its mother. How, how beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful. And to allow that to be the open door to talk about the most beautiful message that has ever been heard. And that is that God loves the world so much that he's willing to give his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting, beautiful, awe-filled life. Expect awe, church. Don't leave this building without the expectation that before the day is over, that God is going to show you something that is going to take your breath away, it's going to capture your attention, and it's going to compel you to say something about it to someone. And the door be opened to talk about how great and how beautiful the gospel is. Amen? Let's stand and sing.